Hey you, welcome to Evolve, a show to help you become a hero and solve the world's greatest challenges. I'm your host, Brandon Stover, founder of Plato University, and I interview social innovators, entrepreneurs, and thinkers about the global problems we face and the solutions they have created to solve them. Today's challenge, mental health and well-being. Our guest is Robbie Bent, co-founder of Othership, which is a physical location and an on-demand breathwork platform featuring the world's best facilitators in the space. Years ago, breathwork, plant medicine, and hot and cold therapy helped Robbie turn away from a lifetime of alienation and addiction. Now, his mission is to create a community and safe space for people to feel belonging, connection, and emotional resilience without the social crutch of alcohol or drugs. His brand, Othership, includes physical and online opportunities to dial into the breath, self-regulate our emotions, and connect with one another. Prior to Othership, he led ecosystem development at Ethereum and was a multiple-time founder. But today, Robbie is going to share how a backyard ice bath sparked a community that's redefining well-being and how we can tap into the power of the human nervous system to shift our state for better mental health. But before we jump into the interview, I just want to give a quick update. As you've seen, we've had a little bit of a break with the Evolve podcast with publishing. But now we're going to start picking up and publishing again, although the podcast episodes may be done a little differently. As many of you are founders, you know that you have to balance your time with all the tasks that are required of you. And as I start to pick up with Plato University, I need to be able to publish episodes without taking up too much time. So in the coming episodes over this year, you might see a few experiments of trying out maybe shorter episodes or a different format, seeing what works best and will allow me to continue to consistently put out great content for you. However, the focus will still be the same of these grand challenges that we're facing and the different solutions that we can create to solve them. But now let's get to Robbie and how he's solving the epidemic of mental health and well-being. Well, before we dive into Othership and the work that you're doing there, tell me why last year you went eight days living in a cave in complete isolation and darkness. (laughs) That's a great place to start. I have been doing these practices for a long time, meditation retreats, psychedelic medicines. And what I found is they kind of provide a a pattern interrupt. Uh, We'll call it a dopamine fest. And for me specifically, you know, ADHD, really intense person, hyper energetic, I'll work forever. I'll do extreme sports. I'm just like a crazy person. (laughs) And what happens over time, you know, I start drinking coffee and then I get so pumped about what I'm doing at work. And then I'm having multiple coffees. And then I'm like checking my phone all the time. And in the pandemic, it got even worse because, you know, my, my workout habits, it's kind of the wayside. And I started using Twitter all this pandemic, like what's going on, you know, always looking for info. We have a physical business and was worried. So I'm like, you know, what's happening in Asia, what's right. happening in, in the UK, they're ahead of us. And, and so I started checking Twitter all the time and just like dopamine, dopamine, dopamine. And so anybody listening, you know, if you're on your phones, chronic fight or flight, chronic stimulation, right. You know, what happens, it happens to drug addicts and drug addict and know this from Cocaine use is it crowds out everything else in your life. So you get less pleasure. It's more difficult to be in the parasympathetic rest and digest nervous system. And so I was so jacked up my nervous system state, like working super hard, checking my phone, stressed. And I just knew like, I'm not feeling right. Even to the point where on the way to the dark retreat, I missed my flight at the gate because I was like looking at Twitter and responding to emails <laughs> and just, and this is from somebody like I have all these practices, I do them. And it just got to a point where I was super overwhelmed. And so the darkness was something I'd heard about from our customers. And that sounds insane, crazy. And the more I thought about it, 
I listened to an Aubrey Marcus podcast on it. That was pretty good. And there was this line they said in the podcast, it's where it's like your brain, imagine has like a hundred tabs open. It's like a Chrome browser with just all the tabs. Yeah. And it's like so slow and you're clicking in and, and, you know, you go into these like pattern inferences, whether it's a nature retreat, just not using your phone, meditation retreat, and, and you just close all the tabs and like, it's like you're rebooting your brain. Yeah. I would just like to hear a little bit about what the difference was for you, like as you went through it and then as you came out compared to what you were going in being overstimulated and feeling jacked up. In the last six years, I've done a lot of retreats and this is the most, you know, we're launching two businesses at the same time and it's just the most, the busiest I've been. Okay. So I was like, whoa, like this feels intense, you know? And so, so when <laughs> COVID, usually I'm like good with being busy because I also have the practices, but in COVID, the practices started to fall off a bit. So it's kind of like, you know, I'm now eating unhealthy. I'm not sleeping properly. I need to, I need to change. And so, so I went in, you know, missed the flight full on and, and I'm like now in this cave and I'll post in the show notes. Uh, I wrote a blog post about exactly about this. If people are interested, but such a wild experience. Like you, you, you know, they shut the lights off and you can't even see your hand in front of your face. Like it's mm. full on darkness and we can link the the retreat it's amazing the guy who owns it's amazing it was like out in complete wilderness on a commune and you know the first thing you sleep for like two days your body's not used to to no light and so it just thinks it's it's resting and so for for almost two days the whole time and, and there's a lot of fear that comes up so you're kind of sitting there and you're you know just like, okay, I'm in a room, but like, what if something jumps out and grabs me? And you know, that's not going to happen, but subconsciously we actually rely on our eyesight for safety. So you wake right. up, you open your eyes. Okay. Nothing's around me. I'm safe. And so when you're in complete darkness, you can never feel safe uh, at the beginning. So there's just this underlying element of fear, which is really interesting. And so once a day they come and like kind of food in the evening and just ask if you're okay. I said, Hey, like I'm feeling a lot of fear. And he taught me this exercise to you know, when you're feeling that fear, really feel into it, feel into it in your body and then see if you can sort of judo some positive feelings into it. So do you remember a time when you felt brave or strong? And so honestly, for, for days, I would just feel fear a hundred times and mm -hmm. kind of like insert strength, insert strength, using my breath, starting to teach myself. It felt a lot like an ice bath where the nervous system's ramping up, the fight or flight is there, and then you kind of let it go and surrender. Yeah. And so in a lot of ways, the practice was about surrender, overcoming fear, which was, was really interesting. And so, you know, around four to five days in, you become more comfortable and you start to befriend the darkness. So about five days in, it becomes really difficult to sleep. And so now it's, you know, if you go to a meditation retreat, 10 hours a day, that's pretty taxing. Yeah. So even if you meditated 10 hours a day here, you're still up another 14 <laughs> yeah. just sitting and it, it's, it's so long. And, and so what you kind of realize is that these thought patterns you have, right? Like I get up, oh, I gotta, I gotta email this guy. I gotta like, you know, push forward the business. I need to have this meeting. We have to grow. It's all kind of bullshit at the end of the day, but it's busy work that your mind does. Maybe it's for validation. Maybe it's to feel good. Maybe it's to survive, whatever it is, it's, it's always there. And so it becomes really hard to go into the depth, to go into awareness and insight because you're just like responding, you're checking your phone, you're texting people, you're watching TV. And so five days in the darkness, all of that stuff, your, your mental conditioning, it fades. Like you've thought about everything you can yeah. think about. There's nothing left. And so insights start to come up, you know, I'm like, I'm 
halfway through my perceived life? Have I lived a good life? Mm. Do I have integrity? My, my parents are going to die. What happens when they die? You know, I'm in this darkness. I'm not a person anymore. And then when I'd fall asleep, the dreams would be so vivid. So like day three, four, before it got to that point of no sleep, insanely vivid dreams that almost felt when I woke up like a, like a DMT experience in some ways, not hallucinogenic, but just, you know, one where I was looking my dad in the eyes, telling him like, I love you. And wow. then woke up just feeling like such a full heart. So there's really strange stuff happening from a fear level, really strange stuff happening. I think it feels like your brain is like refragmenting because the neurotransmitter responses, like, you know, the melatonin levels, everything is, is changing. And then you have these crazy dreams, the sense of self declines, and then your, your thoughts change. And so it's a very emotional experience coming out was like probably the single best moment in my life. Like in, like I remember I was like, Hey, first I wanted to make it 10 days and I got really sick, like this huge cough inside that yeah. three days. And I, I realized I like, man, I'm coughing. Like I must live on the plane. I'm here you know, I'd heard this story about someone my age who got it. And within one day I had to go to the hospital and I was like, fuck, I'm here alone. They check on me once a day. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to die here. And then I would, but I was also like the ego and he was like, I can't fucking leave in three days. I put it on my email signature, like no way that I'm leaving this thing like now and coughing. And then I realized there was like a mold in the cave. And mm. every time I sat on this meditation cushion there, it would like blow into my face and I was allergic. And so I stopped doing that. And so that it was, it was hard, you know? And so by the time I was ready to leave, I was like, okay, like I'm ready. And as soon as I decided like day eight morning, I'm out of here. It's like a mad rush to the door, like trying to get it open, trying to get open, pull it open. And it's before sunrise. And so I mm. come out and you can, you can see every particle. It was like the atoms, like, like I could see into the universe basically so vivid that lasted for only a couple minutes, but I was just looking around like, like every breath because the cave was kind of like damp inside the same, like, like it felt like you're so cramped hmm. and like, there's a pressure on your head because you just can't see, you can't like escape. You feel so trapped. And so coming out into the world to this fresh mountain air, like breathing in the air felt like I was breathing in glacier water. I was just like, <sighs> taking these breaths, you know, I'd lay down on the ground, smelling the earth, like holding it just like, Oh my God, this is like breathing. It's amazing. And yeah. then, you know, slowly the, the sun starts coming up and you can first only everything's black and white. And then you start to see like the Browns, the greens, the first time you've seen colors. And like, just as the sun starts coming over, you see the sky turn blue and was like, Holy fuck, this is crazy. And then like, as the sun went over the, the ridge to actually see the sun, like the first glint, like coming into my eyes, it transported me back to a moment with my dad when I was skiing as a child, like on a sunny day, like fully into that moment. And I was just like, man, life amazing. And so it went from, I can't even not look at my phone to like the simplest things, like a breath of air looking at the sun, I went and I went for a swim in this cold Creek and they had a sauna on the property. And in like two hours of, you know, sauna, sunrise, fresh air, I ate food that I could actually see. It was just so full of like life essence and joy. And it's just because I reset the dopamine patterns in yeah. the brain. So I was finding joy and like these little things and just end it here is like life. We're so rewarded. I've heard this like five times in the last month. So my head for, for doing and, and not rewarded for being in our culture, right? So it's like, I accomplished this, I achieved that. And so I'm working so hard knowing 
about all these underlying patterns and knowing it's not healthy and still like throwing everything away to do and achieve. And that experience just brought me right back into like the simplest being. And there's like no amount of happiness, you know, again, teach their own, but there's just no amount of like pure joy in the present moment. You're going to get then like a sunrise Mm -hmm. and breath and nature. And it was just such a reminder. So even if you are stuck in the doing, which is probably every parent, everyone who's struggling with financials, like most 99.9% of people, you can do these, you know, you can, you can go through these experiences and have like a quick reset. Yeah. I think the story is a excellent example of just how much we are overstimulated in our modern lives. But some of the other problems that you are addressing, we have high rates of depression. We have feelings of social isolation, especially after just going through COVID. Paint us a picture of how these problems are affecting our modern lives right now. Let's paint a picture of what like an ancient life was. And so living outside in nature, fasting because you didn't have access to food all the time, exposure to different temperatures, hot, cold, because you weren't inside a lot of movement, right? We'd be like hunting, gathering, no sedentary lifestyles, living in small groups slash tribes. So very community driven because actually to survive, you needed, you know, to be in the social group. And and so everything there that humans evolved over millions of years is gone. Average day, like my my day, okay, I wake up, I'm at a computer for 12 hours, like pushing forward our business because it's important to me, you know? That's so I'm, I'm sedentary. I'm like over breathing because I'm, I'm stressed. I'm looking at my phone. My fight or flight response is great. It's fantastic for like, you know, productivity, being alert. But again, going back to our ancestors, like, you know, the most of the day is I'm sitting around being bored. There's <laughs> yeah. not much to do. You're kind of just around, you know, and now if I ask your listeners, like, when's the last time you were bored? And the answer is fucking never because (laughs) you're going to like, you know, if you're sitting waiting at a restaurant, how many times are you going to check your phone? Probably 15 times, you know, like you're just not sitting around. And so our life is now, I'm always stimulated. I'm always looking at my phone. I'm likely more sedentary than I should have been. I'm likely spending a lot of time inside because I'm in front of a screen or a computer. That temperature I'm at is perfect. So our bodies are facing like almost zero resilience. And so what does that mean? Well, we have two nervous system states. One is called the sympathetic, the fight or flight. So sending blood flow to the brain, activating awareness, becoming vigilant. This is, you know, imagine you're walking in an alley outside and someone jumps out, boom, screams. Okay, I'm activated. I'm ready. Same thing. Like you get a notification, you're late for a meeting. Like, fuck, you're into overdrive, you know, it's fight or flight. Other one is, is called the rest and digest, the parasympathetic system sending blood flow to the organs. We're in that state when we're having sex, eye gazing, laughing, hugging, you know, eating a meal. It's in the nervous system state where we find meaning. And, and that state is just completely lacking because of all this overstimulation in like today's lifestyle. We're not in that state of meaning, you know, and, and think about it now, like when, how much time during your day are you like allowing yourself to be in emotion, to laugh, to be happy, to just right? So we'll call the parasympathetic state being, and we'll call the fight or flight state doing, right? If 99% is in this doing state, it becomes harder and harder to connect to our emotions. We feel isolated. We feel depressed and it's, it's rampant. Like 70% of Gen Z people that use their phone more than three hours a day report depression. It's the highest ever. The number of close friends people report less than one 
for on average for American citizens, 0.8 average close friends that you have something to share with 20 years ago, it was three. So I just think a lot of this like overstimulated lifestyles are leading to not being in the rest and digest nervous state, not connecting to our emotions. And as a result, way more depression, way loneliness. And I actually think it's one of the greatest problems facing society. Like one of the biggest unspoken epidemics, worst ever mental health, like insane growth and right. like addiction, all-time highs, depression, all-time highs, mental health issues, all-time highs. And so, you know, if I had to guess, there's not like scientific studies that show numbers, but if I had to guess, I think it all stems from chronic overstimulation and a lot of it coming from changes to society and event of the cell phone, like in 20, 2006 is when a lot of these patterns have started changing. Yeah. Well, I think another important aspect to your solution with Othership is the problem that we have of disconnection with our body and lack of awareness of like our own health, specifically our breathing. You were mentioning over breathing before. Tell us a little bit about this disconnect and how it's affected us. So it kind of stems back to these examples I gave around ancient practices. So what do you need to be healthy, right? So, so let's think about it. Let's just say diet is, is one, exercise is another. So movement thing that, you know, we used to do. And as part of diet, you might have fasting or time restricted eating. And then, you know, so exercise is the next, everybody knows exercise is important. Some type of movement. Third is sleep. So pillar of our health in the last five years, it's become clear how important sleep is for like willpower, cognitive abilities, and recovery, HRV. Um, fourth, which people don't really know about is breath, which we'll get into. And so with James Nestor's work on breath, Patrick McKeon's work with oxygen advantage, it's starting to become very clear. Breath is like the fourth pillar of health. There was this study called the Framingham study, and it showed that lung capacity was actually the best predictor of longevity, way more mm-hmm. so than diet, sleep, exercise. It was actually lung capacity that predicted how long you would live. It has to do with uh, absorption of oxygen in the body. And then the fifth is social connection. And so if you look across diet, disaster, exercise, disaster, you know, sleep, it's it, tough because of all these other things we mentioned, breath, absolute disaster, which we'll get into. And then social connection because of phones really difficult as well. So those are like the five things you need to, to be healthy, happy, find, find meaning. And our, our lifestyles have, have changed a lot of those. So, so breath specifically, interesting things have happened. So, you know, in ancient cultures, Everyone actually had straight teeth, much more pronounced jaws, and everyone was, and due to a couple of changes in diet, so processed foods actually increase the amount of CO2 in the body. They changed the body's uh, alkalinity. Don't need to remember any of that. All you need to know is it's causing us to mouth breathe. Mm-hmm. And when we mouth breathe, it makes it really difficult to absorb in the brain and body. So it can lead to like fatigue, uh, poor sleep, lack of willpower. So what is mouth breathing, right? Like we're actually meant to be breathing through our nose. Our nose increases nitric oxide in the blood. It improves blood pressure. It's, it's like a humidifier that filters out toxins from the air. It's just, we're meant to breathe slowly through the nose. Mammals that breathe the slowest and have the slowest heart rate live the longest. So you can think of like the tortoise turtle. And so now we're, we're breathing through the mouth. It's like this, you know, massive snowblower in the driveway <laughs> versus a shovel that, that we should rarely be doing. And it's creating a fight or flight response it happens from overstimulation. So, you know, you check your phone, bam, start breathing in the chest through your mouth because you're nervous. Like, oh, I missed a meeting. <sighs> you're, you know, looking at your computer, you're on email, you're, you're going through your mouth. So change in diet and overstimulation has led to mouth breathing. 
And what happens over time through mouth breathing, our brain adjusts and we're not able to absorb as much oxygen in the cells, the tissue, the organs, the brain, something called CO2 tolerance. Again, you don't need to remember it. You just need to remember that changes to diet are increasing mouth breathing, which is leading to less absorption. And so there's this test you can do and you breathe in, breathe out, hold your breath. And if it's under 20 seconds, right in the morning, it's a sign that your breathing patterns could use some work. Some of the solutions that you've created with Othership is helping to really get these last two pillars of the breath and the social connection. Explain to us the model of Othership of how it's fostering emotional fitness, mental health, and friendship. Absolutely. So there, there's a it's, a, it's a really long story. So I'll try to be as concise as possible. And so we have, we have two pieces. So one is a, a breathwork app. And I just found that people really struggled to meditate. I, I was an addict for 12 years. I used meditation and psychedelic medicines to get sober. I'm happy to talk about that later or sh- share some links, but tried to teach those practices to people for a number of years. And out of 200 friends, maybe like three of meditation. If you're listening, you know, downloaded a calm, tried it, tried headspace. You sit down. It's like, my mind's going crazy. Nothing's happening. I've been sitting for 10 minutes. Am I doing this right? It's just not working for me. You know, I've had friends who will do it for a month and be like, and these are like disciplined people and just be like, I don't know if anything's happening. Right. And so the feedback cycle is quite long. You know, it's almost like you have to do a 10 day retreat to really feel the benefits and so a 10-day retreat is, is two years of every day, right? And so you can just kind of like, it's like, it's a skill that you need to learn. Like right. play a guitar and you pick it up, you're not going to play a song. And so people are like, well, fuck this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit. And so I saw meditation being difficult and I saw psychedelics are illegal. There's a lot of fear around them. How to use those. Also, there's not like very clear guidance of, of how to integrate, which is problematic. So I had a lot of friends be like, oh, I'm going to retreat. You were an addict. I come back and, you know, I'm, I'm going to quit drugs too. And then they would come back and be back into drugs within three weeks. And so I saw those kind of problems and was like, oh, fuck, I wonder if there's something like this stuff worked for me. How can we get people who don't have mental health habits to become, to find more meaning, to be more in that parasympathetic state. And so we've stumbled upon breath work, starting with Wim Hof and really noticed that the breath is like a triangle. There's like three things you can do with it. So one is Sometimes you want to turn on that fight or flight state. You want to boost energy. You want to increase awareness as you might be in the morning instead of a coffee. And so there's styles of breathing where you breathe quite quickly. And like Wim Hof is an example of this. You're pushing the gas pedal on the nervous system. So you you want energy. You're procrastinating. You want to like get into the flow. You want to skip that afternoon cup of coffee. Bang, breath work. And I I did that style of breath work with Wim Hof like every day for, for years. And it would be in my morning routine. And it like really changed a lot for me in terms of boosting my energy in the day. Yeah. And then, you know, I kind of saw, you can also use the break. So that's the parasympathetic. So you've been working for, you know, 12 hours and you're not even a human being. You're totally focused on your computer and, you know, it's time to go hang out with your wife and kids. Well, long, slow exhales and breath retention, breath holds will move you into the parasympathetic state. They'll reduce the heart rate. They'll help you relax. They'll help prepare you to eat. So you know, after work, before bed, you have these ruminating thoughts in under seven minutes, you can shift your nervous system state. So I kind of saw this stuff happening, did a ton of research around, you know, the books I had mentioned before, I took a bunch of courses, read a papers and realized there was no platform that like made it really easy to do this. So for meditation, 
it's about awareness and it can be like, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling it, but for breath work, you know, you just put it on, you're listening to music that you really like, and you just follow the patterns and you change your nervous system state. So we thought that was really powerful and something we could teach to people to start really getting this idea across that like, Hey, I'm actually the master of my, my nervous system. And then the third in the triangle is explore. And so if you push sympathetic breathing far enough, you'll slow down the oxygen flow to the brain, to the thinking mind, the part of your brain that's like, I have all these tasks. I'm not good enough. What does she think about me? What about my kids? What about my parents? This monkey mind that's just on forever, a million, you know, that's just nonstop relentless. And we found that breathing in these patterns for 20 to 30 to 40 to 60 minutes can shut down that part of the brain. And in that shutdown, your body actually starts to process emotion. And we saw that style of breath work and it's been used forever. Like Stanislav Grof came up with something called holotropic breathing, which is amazing. And there's a million variations, but all of them mean you're breathing out so much carbon dioxide. You're slowing the blood flow to the brain. You're changing your perception of self, your perception of time. You are uh, sending signals to the emotional system of the brain, the limbic system. You start to process things. And so, you know, if you're afraid of COVID, of your financial situation, if you're carrying guilt for something you did, if you went through a breakup, if you're feeling grief, you lost somebody, you know, all of those emotions are challenging. And for most people, we bury them. And so yeah. what breathwork allows you to do is shut down the part of your mind that's saying like, hey, I don't want to fa face those. I'm afraid, or, you know, I want to bury those things. It shuts down that part of the mind and allows you to process and release. And so it's just so powerful for processing emotions, which many of us, like we're just in the fight or flight all the time, never processing. And we're like, well, let's, you know, build a, something like calm or headspace. And my partners are DJs and musicians. And so we made like all this amazing, like little work of art, hundreds of sessions. And we started just offering them for free on zoom people liked it. So we made a course people like that. So we made an app and it's been up for like four or five months. And it's, it's like amazing for, you know, if you're struggling to meditate, you want to go up, you want to go down. Like this morning I did one, I did a five minute little booster instead of a coffee. And then I did a down while I took a walk. So I walked outside, got sunshine in my eyes had a perfect breathing pattern. It was just like 10 minute little morning routine. Awesome. Came in, started work. So I'm like obsessed as this, as the tool even if you have a meditation practice, you can use it to prepare for meditation. And so it's kind of this tool to teach people to regulate their nervous systems. And I'm, I'm convinced that this is going to help the 300 million people in the US without a practice, find a practice and improve their breathing habits. Yeah. I personally, when I wake up in the morning, do breath work before I do my meditation. And then I do that before I do my journaling. So it helps me like get to the place that I could actually process whatever emotions are going on. And like the breath work helps me calm down that mind, as you said, so I can, you know, focus a little more in meditation and then work through <clears throat> that in journaling. There's a session we have on the app called morning kick, and it's about 14 minutes and it combines breath work with meditation in the hold and then morning gratitude. Hmm. And so you're kind of, the idea was like, okay, I'm, you know, a 20 minute meditation. I'm doing 15 minutes of breath work. I'm doing my five minute journal. I'm like an hour now in my morning routine. And I was like, I wonder if we can condense this into like 15 minutes. So you just listen. And instead of journaling, you actually just think it'll be like, okay, what are you grateful for today? You know, what's, what are you grateful for that's nearby? And so during the breath work, it's like layering in these prompts. So it's a, it's a really good one to check out as part of your morning routine and see if it, if it fits. Yeah. I'll have to give that one a try uh, in your guys's app. Like you mentioned all of your um, breath work sessions, they're overlaid with music. How does the music uh, work to affect the nervous system? 
So we thought it was really interesting is it's like, how do you make this accessible? It's got to be fun. And this came from, you know, personally massive headspace user, huge fan. I've done four Vipassana meditation retreats, a darkness retreat. I've had times where, you know, an hour every day for a year. I've had times where I didn't meditate for a few months. During COVID, we were doing these Zooms and people were like, I'm isolated, but I want to have a party. Okay, that's cool. Maybe we can put on music you'd have during a party. And we took, there's this DJ we love from Burning Man and Flying Colors. And we're like, dude, let's use your sets and we'll make breath work to them. And so my, my Perry, it's his favorite DJ made this amazing set called Roller Coaster, mm-hmm. which is also on the app. And it's like his favorite, you know, breath work, like music set. And then he overlaid the breath work to the music. And what we found was like, whoa, this is cool. Like, you know, so none of us drink and I'll get into othership physical and what that is, but none of us drink. So what we would do is Friday night, come over. Well, it's like, you know, you kind of still have that social anxiety you want to get rid of. You kind of want something. And so we started just having these breathwork parties and it would be, you know, 10 friends and we would just throw on like a set and someone would guide an awesome breathwork to music. And then we got in the, the style of like, oh, well, maybe, you know, meditation doesn't have to be like waterfalls and wind chimes and down. Maybe it can be like fun. And so there was a lot of born of just testing different DJs. We liked um, their music with our breathwork. And so the music doesn't necessarily do anything for the nervous system. It just makes it fun. So some of our sessions are very minimally guided. It'll be like acid jazz for cooking, but a perfect breathwork pattern layered in. So, you know, an in six, out six. So people are busy, right? Like, how do you, you know, some telling you to do this new thing. You're like, fuck my whole day is full, man. Yeah. It's like, well, guess what? You're going to go for a walk to get coffee. Why don't you breathe perfectly for 10 minutes during that walk and listen to music you like? And so the whole sense was, okay, instead of going to traditional meditation, deep teaching, you know, spiritual route. Let's just something that, you know, the music is really good. People like listening to it and layering breath patterns on top and people seem to love it. I've been able to like really get it into their, their day, which is kind of the goal, I think. Yeah. I think uh, it's important to meet people where they are and like making it fun because, you know, every time I get sit down to do meditation in the morning, you know, there's some mornings like you don't want to sit down and do it, but it's a, a habit that you have to build. But if you can make it fun in the beginning in order to start building that habit later one be as hard to do those things exactly explain the combination with uh sauna and cold plunge that you guys have started doing in your physical space with the breath work yeah so prior to the breath work app which we created in, in covid via these zooms we were me and five best friends my wife you know three of my best friends we would just we were obsessed with bathhouse culture and did that because like one i'm sober my partners had trained as sauna masters in Europe and we would always go to bathhouses. So I was going in, you know, San Francisco and Berlin. And for people who don't know, bathhouse is a sauna, some type of cold plunge, usually a tea room or restaurant, maybe multiple saunas, steam room. And I would do these on Friday and Saturday nights. And I was like obsessed. And when I came back to Toronto, I did the Wim Hof course and, you know, went to one of his seminars and I started that breathing and I built an ice bath in my backyard and we just had, you know, a community of neighbors over and it grew mm-hmm. to a couple hundred people in WhatsApp. And as it got colder, I live in Canada, so winter time, you know, we just converted a garage into a sauna and ice bath and a tea nice. room. And it grew to like thousands of, of customers, just underground, like word of mouth. And at first, you know, this stuff is amazing for longevity. So the hot, cold, you know, we mentioned before putting your body through stress. It's like the number two thing you can do after fasting for living a long and healthy life, increasing your health span. 
you know, there's studies on reduction in inflammation, boosting the immune system, all kinds of stuff. And Rhonda Patrick and Andrew Huberman talk about this a ton if you're, if you're interested, but so let's, you know, we know this is good for you. We know it's a health thing. You see athletes do it for recovery. We started to find out people, it would be like the gateway into meditation. Like, you know, you go in the cold, boosting up an effort in the brain. All of a sudden you're, you're alive, you're attentive, you're vigilant, you're not thinking about your phone or work. And we saw that led to really connecting people. So they would do the ice bath together. They'd conquer their fear. Cause most people are afraid it's common. And then they'd be like feeling super alert and alive with no phone, start talking. And so mm. all of a sudden we had this like social space that was really cool. And that was getting people into the present. And then we started just kind of, you know, screwing around with different modalities. And so, you know, sound bowl, breath work, NLP and hypnosis movement and shaking sound with a drum or a flute, you know, kind of all the stuff from all the psychedelic meditation work and retreats, just kind of mixing and matching. And people loved these classes. And so we'd be like, okay, let's do an anger release today. And, you know, we'd go in the sauna, turn out the light, like a traditional sweat lodge and scream at the top of our lungs and like, you know, share a moment of someone that made you angry and let it go. And then things just exploded. Like people were like, fuck, this is incredible. So we're doing like couples classes and fear releases and you know, then COVID hit. And so we, we moved to the breathwork gap. And then as COVID ended, we, we built this, you know, flagship space in Toronto. It's a 50 person sauna. And there's a, there's a guide kind of the same way you'd have at a, at a boutique fitness class. There's four ice baths in a tea room. And so each day there's a number of classes and a class might be on releasing anger. It might be on increasing gratitude. It might be on releasing shame. It might be at like a Friday night fever dance party. So <laughs> You know, you imagine the facilitator has these like essential oils with different smells. They can control the temperature. They're moving the heat with a towel and dancing. So it's half performance, half kind of like emotional classes. And so it's, it's weird to go to like, you know, a gratitude class in person, you feel uncomfortable, but the hot, the cold removes that anxiety and Mm -hmm. allows you to kind of sink in. Plus it's really good for your health. So, you know, we've sort of created the first class, emotional wellness classes in North America and then at night, it's a, it's a social space. And so there's no alcohol. People use the ice bath to break free of social barriers and hang out. And every night, nine to two in the morning, it's like bumping with, you know, people interested in meditation and psychedelic medicines and health and wellness and diet and entrepreneurs that like, I think for a lot of people who listen to your podcast, it's like, okay, do I want to go out and have five beers? Right. Is that a thing anymore? Like people are, there's a huge growth and all these other things we mentioned, and there's no real community space for it. So the idea was let's build the community space for these people to come and connect, like no phone, no makeup, no clothes, everybody's the same, you know? And then in that space, teach people about like mastering their emotions and it's going insane. Like it's just full every day. People are are dating, people are getting married, people are becoming friends. It's like, it's, you know, some classes, like 50% of people break into tears. Like it's honestly, I was there the other night and we did this class called the heart balloon where you in 50 different moments through your life of like feeling love and giving love. And every moment you feel your heart growing, you visualize it growing. And then as your heart rate increases in the sauna and you check your, your pulse and you feel your heartbeat increasing and it's yeah. all to the music while you're doing breath work. And I was like, in tears, crying at my own space, like, <laughs> just like this is better than any therapy session. Like it's, it's nuts. And for like a $35 price point in a group, you're making like kind of mental health cool. So I just, yeah, I can't, I'm honestly so excited about it. It's like my f- favorite thing in the world to do. I'm there like every night. It's just 
it's the best. Yeah, I think as somebody like myself and many of my listeners like who don't drink and aren't a part of that social lifestyle, having something that, yes, I'm very interested in meditation and being healthy and watching all of that for myself. But a lot of times those are solo practices. So having a space that you can go to and be social with other people and start to break through those social barriers in a different way that doesn't require, you know, alcohol or something like that uh, is very alluring to me. Yeah, so we'll have to get you up. If you if you come up to Toronto, we're happy to gift you some passes, have you through. We did one on Friday night. Harry and Amanda, my co-founders, created it. It was called the Friday Night Fever. And they're all throughout the sauna sizes to get people to connect. So when they like have an ice ball, everyone's mm-hmm. throwing it around and you need to look at who you're going to throw to, to like eye to eye as a connection point. You're throwing it around. If it drops, the person who drops it gets a big bucket of ice over the head, which is kind of a prize and not really a punishment. And then it moves into, then it moves into like drumming. And so like, you know, Harry is like drumming on a drum and everyone repeats the pattern. So you have 50 people like, then they're like, and so everyone's like the energy is rising. And then at the end, they turn off the lights, put a black light on. And they're like, we've lost, you know, dancing and connection during COVID. And they play this song by Fred again. It's like one of my favorite DJs. And it's like, we've lost dancing. And everyone just starts dancing, like gets invited to come down. And so you're in the sauna, it's super hot, you know, wearing nothing but a bathing suit, towel wrapped around you and just completely free, not thinking about anything and dancing, moving your body. And we're like, this is the funnest thing. Like, this is so much just pure joy, fun, sober, uh, like feels like you're a kid again. And I was just kind of looking around like, wow, I can't believe this. So the people resonate, like we definitely are trying to open in, you know, New York and LA and all around the U S and the, the idea is just, you know, a whole new way to connect. Yeah. Well, I'm in Austin, Texas, so I definitely recommend uh, Austin's on the list, uh, is on the list also. And we'll, we'll be, we'll be heading down a lot of our, you know, community from the breathwork app is in Austin. I'm, I'm pretty good friends with a lot of people out there and like, just, just love Austin. So we'll definitely get a chance to meet in person. Definitely. Well, I'd like to shift, uh, to talking a little bit about your story and other ship before doing this, like this wasn't your first startup. You had personally experienced many of the problems that we mentioned earlier in your first venture, doing a venture back startup at 24. What kind of personal issues and journey did you go through going from that startup to this startup? I mean, probably a lot of people listening, like I didn't think a lot about what I wanted to do. You know, when I was in high school and university, it was like, oh, my dad's in business. I'm going to go into business. Like, what's the best business school I can go to? Okay, I'm going to work super hard and do that. Then it was like, well, what do these kids do? Who's the smartest one? Like (laughs) what makes the most money? And it was just, okay, I'm going to compete. I'm going to become an investment banker. And then I did that for two years. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing here? This is the worst job ever. Like I'm working hundred hour weeks. People are like, you know, throwing staplers at me and like doing all nighter. Like it just was insane. And I was just like, okay, this sucks. But like, I still want to be rich and I want to be successful. And I want to prove to my parents that, you know, I'm worthy and I want to be good. And I want girls to like me. So I want nice things. And it's a very like insecure mindset of I'm not good enough, get validation from others. And so, you know, it's like, oh, well, startup, that's what people do to become rich. And that's, you know, very naive viewpoint for how hard it is for what you get for it. And so I found a technical co-founder in Toronto and we built this company we raised like 20, $25 million and I grew to a hundred employees. And I thought like, you know, it was a company in telecom, which I don't care about at all. It was just kind of like, okay, this seems like a good opportunity made every mistake in the book company ended up failing during this time. I'm also like heavily using drugs and and alcohol to deal with the stress and, you know, goes as bad as possible. My parents lose their money, you know, friends who had invested, I lose my money. I have no job. I'm like firing all these people. It's just so, 
stressful at that age and, and not really knowing how to deal with fail like this impending doom of like Kate's right. gonna fail for like two years just in the pit of my stomach like you're gonna be a failure you're gonna be a failure and also you know now I'm 28 my friends are starting to do super well so I'm like looking at my friend group and like man I'm like I have no skills what am I doing I'm like you know kind of at the end of that was like close to suicidal and just very much like I can't see a life in where hmm. things are good for me. And, and obviously like drug use doesn't help with that. It makes you feel even like way worse, you know, these moments of just like, what am I, what am I doing uh, with my life? And like absolute like dis- despair is like, how do I get out of this? And at that point I was like, okay, well, this decisions to just, you know, try to make money and be successful and impress people have clearly not worked out. Right. And so you know, listening to podcasts was a huge part of my transformation. I learned about meditation. I moved to Israel. I did a Vipassana retreat. In that retreat, I started to uncover like, okay, why do you need validation from others? You know, why is it important? What, what's, what's this ego piece? You know, why do you, why do you need to be successful? And all these feelings starting because they were kind of, for most people, you're on autopilot. You know, I said like, in high school, I didn't really think about what I wanted to do or how I wanted to show up. It was just like, you look at your group you look at your parents and family and you kind of, your life just on, if you don't take time to step back and like use meditation and breath work and these different modalities, it's very difficult to even understand yourself or like your emotions or what you want. And then you don't have any control. I mean, you don't have control of your life anyways, but then you really <laughs> don't have control because you just kind of float down this path forever and happy. And so it was meditation introduced me to psychedelic medicines. It was ayahuasca that ended up getting me sober. And so, you know, after ayahuasca and, you know, by sober, like alcohol and, and cocaine, I'll still use psychedelics. But yeah, after that ayahuasca retreat in the jungle and in Peru, I met my wife, ended up joining the Ethereum foundation and, you know, started to make decisions a lot differently. So it wasn't like, oh, I need money anymore. It was like, what are like good people I can surround myself with? And that's how I got into crypto was like a lot of the smartest people I knew were working in it. I was like, wow, this is really cool. And these people are all so nice and they're trying to change the world. This seems awesome. And so I sort of followed my heart. And so that went super well within two years, you know, I was working at Theorem Foundation and getting paid in ETH and like my whole financial situation changed like really rapidly, just kind of by pure luck. And all of a sudden I'm like, you know, wow, like I feel good about myself. I feel like I'm, I know what I'm doing and I'm competent and I'm around all these good people. And like life, my wife is like so supportive. She's getting me into all this awesome stuff and she really changed my life. And so I just kind of thought like, this, this is fucking amazing. What is going on here? You know? And then that kind of led to wanting to teach people these things. Hmm. And then, you know, I was in my like peak of my career in crypto and I just kind of started doing this outdoor ice bath stuff and this garage. And then I saw like, you know, 10 people who were, addicted to drugs and they were sober and they're like, yo, it's this community. It's having this space to go to. It's like, I want to do Coke and I come and I use ice bath and you know, it's something I can do on a Friday night. And it's like, it's changed my life. And I just was like, holy shit. And so then I moved from like being around good people to helping people. And mm-hmm. that to me is kind of, there's still some ego involved, which like I'm working on of like wanting validation from others wanting to build something big. Like that's a struggle for me and probably always will be. But now there's like, you know, this, this creation of something that I'm passionate about and like helping others and building community, it just feels like really so right and authentic and like in my zone of genius. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's been such a beautiful journey of like complete insecurity to now, you know, taking the gifts I've had and like trying to help other people become a part of them.
in the part when you were very depressed and like even maybe reaching the point of suicide, uh, you mentioned all of these things that were a turning point for you. But what was that first one that really helped to help you get over the failure and give you hope again so that you could start layering on these other things that pointed you in a better direction? So this at that point in time, I didn't know about breathwork and I didn't know about ice baths and sauna. And so I just, you know, I'd heard about morning routines. And so I was listening to a lot of Tim Ferriss and like reading his book. And I was just like, oh man, like, okay, if I can do a morning gratitude journal and like <laughs> win my day, like that's a good starting point, you know? But it, it's it's tough because those those practices on their own, like they're not enough. And it was like a very long road to get to where I am now, which took you know, the 10 day meditation retreat and the psychedelic medicines, and then also the rock bottom, you know, if that company had never failed, maybe I would have been like, oh, you know what? It's kind of okay to do drugs once a week and I'm around and like, you know, financially I'm okay, but it's, it's like, it was the rock bottom state. So I think there's always like, if you want to change, there's like a catalyst, like you'll never, you could do all the breath work and psychedelics and hot cold you want. But at the end of the day, it's just your decision to like, I want to change. Yeah. And so to make that decision, I want to change. You need to have inspiration in your life of like who you want to be something that you want to be more than, than what you are. And so nothing really helped with that outside of like, Hey, I'm not showing up as a good person. Like I'm disappearing for days. I'm not like, you know, I was just engaging in like risky behavior and doing really weird stuff and just not showing up as like, Hey, I feel like a high integrity person. So I think there was like this deep seated like guilt and, and, and shame that like, okay, it's time to change at like to the point where I wanted to make the commitment to do some of these deeper things hmm. required. So I, I would say that's probably the first step is like a commitment to yourself that like, this is important because what happens is you start down the path and you fail. You know, I tried to quit drugs for like three years. I tried cocaine anonymous. I tried like alcoholics anonymous, tried a bunch of this stuff and it all I failed every time. We'd be like, Oh, you know, I can have a drink. And and then it took like, okay, like this is it. I'm committing. I'm going to the jungle. I'm going ham. I'm getting a therapist. I'm like going as hard as I can at quitting. And then when I came back, you know, I would write in my journal every day, like this many days without smoking, this many days without mm -hmm. drinking. And really, I haven't even talked about this before on podcasts, which hasn't been brought up, but you know, it was then after a year, like I found my partner and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm in it. So it was a really strong commitment. And then on top of that strong commitment to start, there's tons of like tools and tactics. So one I would say is like a transformational experience yearly. So that's something to like change the dopamine patterns in the brain. So, you know, whether it's a meditation retreat, a nature retreat, a psychedelic retreat, it's important to like create space uh, on an annual basis. I think some type of like healthy community, you know, mm -hmm. so if you're like out drinking, like you, you have to change your friends. If you want to make a change, you have to right. go to something like an other ship where at night, you know, you're either doing like some kind of exercise or you're going to like a sauna ice bath or something like that. That was a big sticking point for me was having the space to go. That was healthy. Cause before it would have been like, Oh, I'll go to a restaurant. Yeah, sure. Two glasses of wine. And then like, okay, like three bottles of wine later, and then maybe some drugs. And so, you know, it was the, the transformational experiences working with a coach to like really understand what I wanted, making a commitment and then the daily habits. So, you know, meditation for me, Breath work, I think, is an amazing place to start. Just like seven minutes each day is is like enough. And then some of these deep dives to help process emotion. So again, I'm I'm available. I'm around. If people want to ask like what worked, they could like write a post or or share. But so that's I think commitment to change, healthy community, some transformational experiences in a daily practice is is sort of and when I say healthy community, that's friends who can keep 
right. accountable. If you have all of those, there's a much higher likelihood of success than, than if not. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. How are you approaching this startup versus the failed one? I mean, you're, you mentioned like approaching it from a different mindset of not being so ego driven like the first one. Are there some other major differences that you think is helping more towards the success of this one? Yeah. I mean, this one is just like a part of me. It's like a part of my identity in a way that the others weren't. And so it started as an ice bath in a backyard because I love ice baths, you mm -hmm. know? And then like the breath work we're doing, like we love breath work. I do it every day. Like it's just a part of, of who I am. And so I really understand this product deeply. Like I've been to hundred plus bathhouses worldwide. So I have my partner. So there's just you know, I'm personally an addict that wanted a space like this yeah. my whole life. I know this works. I want this to be as good as possible. Like, I just love it. Like, you know, we would go into uh, the space and think about like the tiles on the floor and look at like 40 different tiles and feel them on our feet. So like, what is that going to feel like on someone's foot? Because we didn't want people to wear sandals, you know, the smell designed like so about 100 essential oils, custom smell understanding the product that deeply passionately using it, watching it change people's lives, starting it not as a business, but as something for fun to help people. Yeah. It also is like hugely different, right? So it's just, it just, everything has happened organically and we just keep layering into like, Hey, what's going to help our customers. Let's build that. And it's always product focused versus like money focused. And I'm a bit lucky in that did really well in crypto. So financials aren't the main goal, uh, like scarcity mindset has kind of been removed versus what I was like struggling with before. Sure. So I just have this runway to like fully focus on making like the best product and experience possible to help the most people. And it just feels, feels really nourishing. Uh, what does success look like for you now compared to, you know, your first startup? What's enough for you with this one? That's a question I'm really like struggling with because like, realistically, this is enough. You know, we made this app. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. There's like thousands of users and they, they use it every day. People have used it like 300 times. I'm getting messages like this changed my life. And the space has had, you know, I don't know, 5,000 visitors and mm -hmm. it's everyone's talking about it. People come, I have made so many friends. So like judging by the, the standards of enough, right? it's, it's hit, right? Like we created it. We did it. We birthed it from nothing. We made this thing that is new in the world that didn't exist. And on the same time that the challenge I have is like, okay, well, I'm this small town kid from Canada. Okay. Toronto now we're crushing it. Like, can we bring it to New York, you know, to Austin, to LA, to the biggest stages in the U S and like, Hey, we made this thing. And it's like the best in North America, you know, and there's a huge drive to want to do, but also I, I know it's probably empty at the end of that road. Mm. And it's, it's so, it's so interesting. Like, you know, a lot of some of the biggest influencers in health. I was like, Oh, I can't wait. I would love to meet these people. And I've met them and like going on their podcasts. And it's like my dream and it's how but I'm not any different of a person. Right. So I have such a desire and craving to build these and like, okay, I want to open, you know, we're looking in New York now and looking in LA and I'm like, I get five locations in each and working so hard to make that happen. One, it's like going to definitely have some impact. Like no question. It's going to help a ton of people. It's amazing model and people need it, but there's also this like ego of like, I want to be the one, you know, to build it and to, to like make this thing validation it. And so there's something there that's like related to lack of self. So it's driving this, like, I'm not enough. So I'm very cognizant of it. I'm having a baby in October mm -hmm. with Congrats. my wife or first baby. So I'm trying to like slow down a bit um, on that and be more focused as a dad and like have the right team in place. And cause I know I don't want to get into the space of like, 
we need to build five, we need to build 10, we need to be, be everywhere empty, but I'm also struggling because I, I want it as well. So it's really, that's kind of the work I'm, I'm doing right now. Yeah. What do you plan on teaching your child about some of these practices or what success looks like? I think the first thing I'm actually going down and to Costa Rica to do it like a one-on-one me and my sister, my sister, my brother-in-law and uh, my best friend, we're going down to call in the, the baby to transition to fatherhood. And I've, I've, you know, one of the leading psychedelic psychotherapists in the world is like working with me specifically design five day program in nature, no phone, mm. a number of ceremonies like, to, to shift from this like selfish person that like wants to build and like, you know, the validation and all these like things that I've, I've struggled with to like this strong giving dad figure yeah. and to kind of like fade into the background of my own life. So that's kind of the first step is like coming into the pregnancy without a tweaked out nervous system, especially like around the first year of the baby touching a baby, their heart rate will sink. Mm-hmm. So you, the heart rate variability, like it's done through touch, especially in developing and so if you're like, you know, I'm tweaked out drinking fees all day, like working my, that, that, that one, the goal is like, and it's going to be really hard for me because I'm so excited about what we're building and I like want to build more and I'm like super energetic person. So it's just, how do I bring the right nervous system? So that's one thing that's on my mind. The other thing is supporting my, my wife. Like just what does she need? How do I help her be the best mom? And so those two things are kind of like my intentions for the ceremony. What do your daily practices look right now as you're regulating yourself, you know, going through a startup? Anybody that's tried to launch a startup knows how you know, stressful it can be. They suck, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, you know, I just, I could come on and say like, Hey, I got this hour morning routine that I've had in the past. And like, just being fully honest. Yeah, man, there's times when it sucks and you know, you get too busy. I'm drinking too much coffee and it's just really hard to manage all this stuff. So if people are listening an entire life dedicated to the stuff I've done like a year of keto and like, it's like a chicken breast in a bag in my pocket so I could eat properly <laughs> and like just wild stuff. And, you know, not any of that and it happens, you fall off the wagon. And so, you know, I'm, I'm going to the gym a couple of times a week, which is like non-negotiable, which is great. I don't drink. I don't smoke. As I mentioned, I have breathwork practice in the morning, non-negotiable. And so it's usually a quick up like six minutes, get my energy going. And then I like to walk to get coffee and I listen to a down session while I'm walking. And so that's mm-hmm. a really nice, like under 15 minute habit where I get sunshine in the eyes, I get my coffee, I'm doing some breath work. So by, by normal stretch, you know, of, of person, like I would say still healthy, but I'm eating, you know, a lot of Uber eats, I get stressed <laughs> and then I don't eat all day cause I'm drinking coffee. And then like, you know, it's like massive cheeseburger or pizza. And that's been a problem for me for the last like year and a half and something I've been having trouble kicking while my nervous system is, is tweaked and I'm kind of just not really judging myself at this point. So, you know, feel pretty good overall with those practices, but, but overwhelmed and that's, that's okay too. Yeah. I think, uh, that's a good example. Even like somebody who has access to all this or is building a company around this to show that like all of us fall off the wagon sometimes, and these practices are hard to keep up with and uh, it'll take a lifetime to be able to, you know, fully integrate them. And, you know, I had like one time a three hour morning routine and it would be like, oh, it's in between companies, wasn't doing much. Like I need to be healthy. So it's, you know, 40 minutes meditation, 30 minutes breath work, like 30 minutes of stretching, like, you know, daily journal, like the whole thing. And and then I have times now where, you know, I don't have any morning routine or it's just this little breath work one. And that's 
I feel the same happiness. So it's, it's interesting mm-hmm. to like set the tone for your day and to help with your willpower for sure. Like the stuff helps, but I think the main thing is just be kind to yourself. You know, when yeah. you, if you, if you miss something like fine, that's okay. For our listeners who aren't able to make it to the real life space, how could they maybe get started with breath work combined with a protocol of like cold shower or a sauna at the gym, kind of, you know, hacking their way through this? most easy. We have a, we have a two week free trial on the app and we can put put a link in. So you can just download it and like test it out. What I'd recommend is the, the up section, testing it in the morning to, to boost your energy, maybe in conjunction with your meditation or coffee. I'd recommend trying the down sessions after work or before sleep. And I would recommend once a week, one of these long, like 30 to 60 minute explorers. And usually those are, are like the first five to 10 to 20 are like impactful as your nervous system's getting used to shutting down and processing emotion. And over time, you know, you start to do those kind of like once a month, or if you have a group over in a community and it can be quite fun. So that's how I would recommend using the app and can get started now. If accessibility is an issue, you can just DM me on Twitter and, you know, let me know. And we have a scholarship program you can apply for. It's super simple. You can just DM me and we'll gift access for cold, you know, cold shower, right? Like simplest thing you can do is, is if your shower goes cold, just at the end of the shower, after you're done washing your hair, whatever, 30 seconds, just, you know, fully crank to cold. And we have some articles about how to do this, but fully crank to cold and just catch your breath. So practice, you're going to, your body's going to hyperventilate. It's going to be triggering norepinephrine, that neurotransmitter for mood, attention, vigilance. And you're just going to catch your breath through long, slow exhales. Try and do like three deep breaths, not deep in deep out. So like nice, long, slow should be about 10 seconds in total. And if you do that three times, that's 30 seconds. So the magic is just in three breaths. And it's not like, Hey, I did this cold shower this one time for five minutes and I never did it again. It's about building a habit. So every shower you're comfortable. And then after, you know, you you've done seven, 10, 21, 30, okay, this is part of my habit. Now you can start going longer. It can be one minute, it can be two minutes, but anyone can do that at home. And you'll feel when you come out alive, hmm. you know, you'll feel like you've had that cough. You'll just feel amazing. So cold shower is just like, boom, I'm in the zone, ready to go. I'm like ready for the day. So that that's easy to do. And um, they recommended, you know, if you have access to an ice bath, you can do it yourself with a chest freezer at home for a couple hundred bucks, <laughs> about eight minutes a week is, is optimal. So, you know, four days of two minutes is like fantastic. Uh, and then for a sauna, you know, sort of like three to four, let's call it 80 minutes. So four 20 minute sessions, and they can be done. You could do two 20 minute sessions twice a week. That's, that's sort of like pretty good. I, I personally like five sessions, but you know, for a sauna, trying to get in as much as possible as well. And so that can be an infrared sauna at your house. If you have the space and it's affordable, if not, it can be local gym, local bathhouse, hoping like othership is everywhere. So you can go and, you know, do three or four sessions a week post-workout or in your social time. Yeah. Okay. Well, is there anything else you would like to leave our listeners with today before I get to my last question? No, that was great. I I think I feel it was really nice to kind of share a lot of my personal stories, what I'm struggling with, be a little vulnerable for an audience, you know, try to just share, Hey, this worked for me, this didn't, and that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing those, even the vulnerable ones. My last question is how can we push the world to evolve? The one that's coming to mind, I mean, there's many answers for this, but the one that's coming to mind is just that, you know, you can control your own nervous system state and you can do it in, you know, a few minutes, you can create space, right? So you can create space to shift your state where it's down. And as soon as you understand that, 
you know, these negative thoughts, this overstimulation, this like feelings of depression. It's like, Hey, I actually have a tool that can hijack my physiological nervous system. And so think of everyone knew that, you know, in three minutes I can push the gas pedal or push the brake on my nervous system and change my state. That's really powerful, really, really powerful because it's going to help with like depression, fear, anxiety, nervousness, health. So I think that's kind of the main is just creating space to, to shift your state. Awesome. Well, thank you, Robbie, for coming on the show. We'll put links to all the resources that we talked about today, including the app and the physical space. But I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your expertise and your stories. Amazing. Thanks for having me, Brendan. Loved it. Thank you for listening to the Evolve podcast. Links to everything we discussed today are available in the show notes. Transcripts are also available in the show notes. And everything can be viewed on our website at evolvethe.world. That's evolvethe.world. My one ask for you is to share this episode with others. If you know someone who is interested in social impact, social entrepreneurship, or just making a difference in the world, please share this episode with them. The challenges in our world need all of those who can contribute to existing solutions or create entirely new ones. So please share this show with those kind, intelligent people who are just like you. Until next time, my friend, keep evolving.